Welcome to Daily Dose, Danny. This is episode 17. If you want to know more about how to set up a charity in your area, then this podcast episode is for you. Table of Two Cities is a grassroots project that started in 2016 to document stories from the refugee community here in Hong Kong through the medium of food. Over the years, TOTC has evolved and is now a program in a newly established charity called Grassroots Future. Today I'm talking to the founder, Tegan Smith. So hi there, Tegan, and thanks for joining me on the show. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Thanks a lot, Danny, for having me. So I am the founder of Table of Two Cities, which is a project I started four and a half years ago. Uh, it has now grown into a registered charity in Hong Kong. And basically, the purpose of the organization is to help refugees share their stories with the wider community and within the charity, also building capacity um, you know, in Hong Kong, because there are not many opportunities offered to refugees and asylum seekers. And we're trying to find ways that people can learn for life and also access resources that will make their lives a bit more comfortable in Hong Kong. That's amazing. So what inspired your story um, to drive this through the medium of food? I think it's actually just uh, the simple fact that food is one of those things that just connects people. You know, every single culture on the planet has food and, you know, food is very important and integral to connecting people, welcoming people as well. And I think that uh, especially in Asian culture in a place like Hong Kong, it's quite an important way to, uh, you know, show people like how you are and how to kind of welcome people. You know, often in Chinese, people ask if you've eaten as sort of an alternative way of asking, how are you? And, you know, when I first started this project, there weren't really many initiatives um, kind of at a grassroots level in Hong Kong, certainly not cultural ones. And I just thought about the best way to connect people, you know, to kind of like both raise awareness and have call to action, but something that people could just relate to instantly. And that's kind of what brought me to food because, you know, it's something that many people in the city, you know, prize. It's something that, you know, everyone can understand and relate to. And it's also a great way of, you know, meeting people from different cultures from your own and knowing a bit more about their story. 100%. So what are some of your favorite foods or dishes that you've learned to cook? Uh, there's so many. So we've been writing a book of the stories uh, that we've been collecting from the community and we've also been collecting recipes and honestly it's hard to pick one but I think for sure uh, like top three uh, one would be jollof rice. So I know it's contentious but um, we were given a recipe by Togolese cook who's assured us that uh, their jollof rice is the best one. Um, so I'm sure maybe people from Ghana and Nigeria might disagree. Uh, we've also been able to learn some dishes from Indonesia. So Bifrandang is another one that's amazing. And we've also, you know, had exposure to cuisines that I guess we haven't really seen much in Hong Kong. So there's some Central African uh, recipes that we have in our book as well, which, you know, we're very excited to share. That's so exciting. I, I personally have never tried those before, but um, hopefully you guys can open up a restaurant eventually and we can try <laughs> these exotic foods. <laughs> or, or try it at home anyway. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. I can get the cookbook. <laughs> and a question. So you sound Australian. Are you originally from Australia and how long have you been in Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean, that's a, always a tough question. So I, I am from Australia, but I did go to high school in Hong Kong and uh, one of my parents is also Chinese from Hong Kong. So I've kind of, um, you know, gone between Hong Kong and, and Sydney um, throughout my life. But I've been living in Hong Kong um, and working here since 2014. Okay, got it. Yeah, I personally love Hong Kong. I think there's such great um, food options here. Um, For sure. So I'm, I'm very excited to see the cookbook. When will it be coming out? So we've been working on it for a couple of years. We're actually very close to finishing it, which is exciting. Um, so we're hoping for it to launch sometime later in the year. Um, one of the reasons why we're taking our time with it. Uh, so we started writing it in 2017 and we were hoping to actually uh, release it last year, but then COVID happened and that really impacted our ability to you know, run a lot of the recipe testing sessions that were necessary to do the book. But um, yeah, we're, we're closing in on it. And the other thing is we want to make this publication as accessible as possible. So what I've noticed over time is that many times that people are recording stories from uh, the refugee community in Hong Kong, they're often done in English medium and not also like in Chinese. So it means that there's only a limited audience for the actual content of these books and, and these sorts of stories. And I think it's important that we make it as accessible as possible. So um, I guess on my side, you know, I'm really trying to push this to be a bilingual and, you know, a resource that actually can teach people a lot about, you know, what's happening in their city and maybe something they don't necessarily perceive, but, you know, something that exists in, in our uh environments awesome so it's going to be in two different languages yes it'll be bilingual oh fantastic well very excited for that to come out and tell me so what are you aiming to achieve in the long run with grassroots um can you tell us more about the concept and the long-term vision you have so i think it in the inception, it's because I've noticed over time that um, there is not that much support for refugee-led initiatives in the city. So um, before I came back to Hong Kong, I was working in Australia. I actually trained as a lawyer there and worked for a pro bono firm that gave assistance to refugees and new migrants. And the thing is, you know, it, it is difficult navigating any new country as a refugee, but the are lots of refugee-led initiatives, you know, in places like Australia, the UK, US, etc. And, you know, there are initiatives where people start their own restaurants or, you know, have small businesses. Um, but also there's just kind of community-led initiatives too, where you have volunteers pulling together and, you know, helping uh, members of society, you know, with things that they need on a community level. So I just didn't really see that there was much... Um, kind of like uh, consistent volunteering with the refugee community that also at the same time engages refugee stakeholders. So um, I kind of wanted, especially in the time that I've been running Table of Two Cities and working and curating events with members of the refugee community to find ways that actually we can amplify the impact of refugee-led initiatives. So that's what led me to start Grassroots Future. So 
on the one hand, it is continuing the work of Table of Two Cities where we have, you know, event series where possible uh, in COVID times anyway. And, you know, also just kind of the storytelling uh, element that we've had for the whole time. But also it's looking at helping people learn for life and access different opportunities, uh, you know, to empower themselves and empower their communities. So we have been working over the years with different refugee-led initiatives and artists and basically worked with them to come up with event series and different projects that they have actually come up with themselves. And I think it's important because we don't really um, have a lot of refugee visibility in the kind of large scale and we just need to hold a platform for refugee voices and we need to amplify those voices. And too often the perspective has been that refugees are voiceless, which is untrue. So that's kind of why, you know, our organisation is focusing on this area and, you know, why I guess we are a little bit different because we are dealing more with like the grassroots level and less kind of, I, I guess, like a top-down approach, you could say. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, have you been able to get a lot of support um, with your funding and, and people here in Hong Kong to better raise the awareness and get the financial support that you need to drive this cause and conversation? So through the event series that we've done over the years, we've been able to help refugee children access educational expenses. So one issue is that although kids that are allowed to attend schools, they do not have their textbooks and uniforms subsidized. So that is a real pain point for a lot of families. So through the event series we've run and also just donation drives, we've been able to help find family support from the wider community. Um, obviously, kind of in these times where we can't really gather and hold events, we've had to think in a different way about how to, you know, um, access resources and also support. So that's something that, you know, we're still looking at. And obviously I think every charity could probably tell you the same thing. Um, but I think in terms of the response from the wider community, you know, um, I think it's been really positive. And I, I think what I love especially is that because our focus has been on culture and food and we've also collaborated with ethnic minority organisations and, you know, local organisations as well, it's been really good at connecting communities that otherwise might never have met or really kind of felt they've had something in common but the commonality has been you know through food and through a focus on culture as well yeah that's amazing that you're able to I think you know help the families connect from different cultures because I feel like that sense of community has been such a big thing and conversation this year that any way for people to connect be it food or struggles or support groups um, has been very very useful for um, just general startups and, and ideas that have popped up this year. Yeah, for sure. So on your website, I saw that you mentioned on the global scale, Hong Kong takes far fewer refugees and asylum seekers than any other developed nation. And if we go by percentage of the population alone, um, they are more heavily focused on refugees and why has this become such a main focus for you in, in general in the conversation with, with what you're driving? Um, so I guess with your question, it's, um, it's, it's two things. It's that Hong Kong doesn't take many people, um, you know, from 
the refugee communities or rather the acceptance rate is low and why is the focus on refugees? I think, you know, that kind of warrants answering it in two parts. So the first thing is Hong Kong is a city that is basically built on the back of, you know, people who are refugees, whether they were Vietnamese boat people or alternatively they came to Hong Kong from China during the 20th century. So uh, I think, you know, the reason why I think looking at refugee issues is important is that anyone that is from Hong Kong or has family from Hong Kong probably has a narrative of displacement in their family history. So, you know, even my grandparents actually were asylum seekers and they left China to come to Hong Kong for the the reasons that many people left in the mid 20th century. So, you know, on, on that level, I think, um, it's important to have a level of self-reflection um, and as a city kind of think about, you know, why we are okay with people not being able to work, not being able to volunteer, not being able to, you know, um, have an ordinary life, but still subsisting and living here for decades and not really having any major policy changes to their betterment. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I think it's also the fact that many people don't know that Hong Kong hasn't signed the Refugee Convention, uh, which is the international norm that actually protects refugees. But at the same time, we have ratified a convention against torture. So a lot of people don't really understand why refugees are here if we haven't signed the convention. But actually, people are in a limbo because the way that they're processed is under the Convention Against Torture. So if um, they can prove that they would be at risk of torture or um, cruel and inhumane treatment in their home country, they cannot be forced to go back. Um, but I think conceptually it might be a bit hard to grasp just how unique the situation is where, you know, people are technically refugees, but the way they're assessed is as a torture claimant, but also the fact that if they can prove that they would be tortured, um, they're kind of effectively stuck in a limbo here. So I, I think, you know, it's important to shine a light on that, but not just simply raise awareness, but have some sort of call to action. So, you know, we we help find people resources that they need, you know, to navigate this very unique situation they find themselves in. But also, um, we also find ways that they can still, you know, um, make contributions to society. You know, maybe it's going to be through art or through culture or through, you know, some, some other initiative, but just being able to give them that audience that they need to, to share their story. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you've been able to find a lot of um, support and collaboration events to help um, with the different arts and, and sort of aspects that you wanted to highlight with the refugees. Yes, we have. And there's actually just so many people within the community itself that are super talented, you know, who are artists, musicians, make clothes, you know, and I think the list will just go on and on. And, you know, I think it's such an untapped resource. People just maybe don't know or are not aware that, you know, there there is talent in this community. And that's exactly why, you know, we try to highlight this as much as possible and work with like-minded organizations and groups that have the same outlook as us. And what has been some of your biggest achievements with the events or the collaborations you've had that you felt made the biggest difference or had the biggest wins? Um, so I think 
the event series that we did last year, we did a couple of um, events, socially distanced, of course, that um, where basically we curated an entire dinner menu with uh, some members of the refugee and asylum seeker community. So it took a couple of months, but we basically, you know, worked on someone's proof of concept and we got an understanding of what sort of event that they wanted to, to hold. So, you know, Everything was curated from the way that we did the menu, from the layout of the space, the entertainment on the night. And I think it was really important just kind of laying in these details and really paying attention to it because it does give people a sense of ownership. And, you know, through holding these events, we were able to, you know, um, raise money for kids' educational costs, but also, um, you know, highlight some of the other initiatives they're doing. So um, footage of this event series uh, will be in a documentary that will be coming out later this year where a couple of students that we've been working with have been following some members of the refugee community and basically um, documenting their story. So, you know, it's basically, you know, a couple of initiatives that have intersected where, you know, we're trying to showcase the stories, you know, whether it's through film um, as, you know, people will see later on because we filmed these events, but also um, just the events themselves and people are immersed in it. Uh, But actually it it is really hard to pick like what um, the best events are because, you know, I don't want to say that one is necessarily better than the other, but I think anything that we've done where uh, we have really tried to curate it with the community affected, you know, has been, really powerful I think Um, so we had a film screening as well um, not last year but the year before where we uh, showed this documentary called City of Joy and um, basically it's about um, female empowerment in Democratic Republic of Congo so you know that was really cool because we were able to serve Congolese food and also have a panel of different people talking about you know the situation that's happening there but also how to help refugees from that country in Hong Kong so yeah I mean (laughs) sorry it's probably a long response but yeah I think it's uh the important thing is really just like the events that we have worked very closely with members of the community on and those are the ones that I would say I'm most proud of. For sure. And I think just even sharing those stories, that in itself um, is so valuable. And that is sort of the success is being able to tell the the personal stories and struggles. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the current struggles for refugees based here in Hong Kong, especially now during COVID? How have they been affected and how have you been able to support? Yeah, so COVID has really detrimentally affected, I guess, everyone, but, you know, the refugee community is no exception. And I think last year, the main issue was that um, for the first, I think, two or three months that uh, the outbreak was first announced, people did not have access to masks. They didn't have access to sanitizer. And especially when it became compulsory to have, you know, a mask, uh, it was just really inaccessible to people. So we did a couple of donation drives in uh, early Feb last year, where we basically were really pushing to get different supplies of masks and uh, sanitizing products for Refugee Union, which is our community partner. It's a refugee-led organization. And so that was kind of the first thing. The other thing is that actually um, 
people in the refugee community, they only receive a stipend from the government. So most people do not have the right to work because the majority are actually asylum seekers. And so uh, effectively they have to subsist on this really small allowance and one of the things is that they only get uh, $1,200 per month to use at Park and Shop in the form of vouchers. And so the issue is that the prices of just day-to-day items that they would typically be buying was just increased because of panic buying and, and just food shortages as well. So we had to find ways to you know, be agile and help pool resources and do a few donation drives to food and also just like get local businesses who have the resources and capex to consider donating as well. Um, So, I mean, this is kind of like, I would say what the struggles were for COVID in the first two quarters of the year. But now, as I guess we're kind of adjusting to the new normal, the main thing is that everything has moved online and a lot of families do not have access to laptops and, you know, uh, tablets that can run Zoom, but their kids need that for school. And obviously the government isn't really, you know, helping with that expense because they're already not helping with textbooks. So, you know, that has been really challenging, finding, you know, laptops and tablets in good working order that, you know, we can help donate to families. Um, But I think the last thing I would say that's really affected people during COVID that we're trying to address um, is kind of the mental health element, you know, that stems from isolation. So we are actually under grassroots future. We're really putting an emphasis on well-being and mental health. So we started these uh, yoga and mindfulness classes for refugee women. And we're going to expand our activities to encompass you know, different mental health and wellness activities that people can participate on. They could just dial in on their phone and access it on Zoom. And um, that's kind of what we're trying to really push for because I think, you know, the more that people are isolated, they can't go out and, you know, things just are not really running as they were before. It is just harder, um, you know, to to kind of navigate that environment. And it is really uh, quite taxing on someone's mental health. And especially if you're living in a subdivided apartment, uh, you know, it, it probably just makes you feel really trapped because you can't go out, you know, you can't really see your friends. So that's why we've really been pushing to, you know, find ways that people can access uh, mental health activities online. And so we're really excited to be partnered with Yoga Mandala Project, which are delivering these trauma-informed yoga Uh, classes to us but we're also uh, in conversation with a couple of local practitioners too so we're really excited to be able to do that. That's very exciting is there is there any other way that people who are listening can get in touch or help support you or volunteer with you? For sure. So we're currently looking for yoga mats. We have received a couple of donations but you know if folks are interested in donating any equipment you know, that would be really, really helpful. Um, Likewise, if people have any dumbbells or uh, kettlebells, basically things that, you know, people can use if they're working out inside, you know, 
those sorts of things could be donated to Refugee Union. Um, But also kind of from a volunteering side, you know, we definitely would love to have more people who, you know, are familiar with yoga or, you know, maybe even Pilates or kind of like um, other activities involving mindfulness. So, you know, um, we're kind of open and, you know, we love to see what we can do to collaborate. So, yeah, if anyone listening is interested in helping, please just get in touch with us. For sure. I'll definitely add your details in the podcast description so whoever's keen can reach out. I know there's a lot of um, mental uh, well-being and yoga coaches here in Hong Kong that would be pretty keen to join the cause, I'm sure. For sure, yeah. Cool. Um, so what has been the the funnest food story or cultural experience that you've sort of had through Table of Two Cities? Ah, oh, that's a really tough one. Um, I mean, I think it's been really cool being able to see how far you can push food. So every year we've done a World Refugee Day event. Even last year, you know, we tried as much as possible, complying with social distancing, of course, to, you know, do an event. So every year we've done something a bit different and that's always been kind of fun and a bit, you know, um, exciting because, you know, there's just so many ways that you can present the same cardinal elements. So the first year that we did a World Refugee Day event, it was a block party in Saingpun, and we basically got African drummers um, from the community to perform, and, you know, they were just kind of having a jam. Um, You know, people were dancing, and we had kind of a potluck sort of format. Uh, So different members of the community brought a dish. And so like locals to Saiyangpun, which is where Refugee Union is based, you know, were invited to, you know, bring a dish as well. So that was really cool because I think people probably were not really aware that um, Refugee Union is there and uh, that, you know, there's a space there that, you know, um, is kind of just in the, in the middle of Saiyangpun, I think it's just something people wouldn't expect, right? So, like, that was really cool and pretty fun. Um, but we've also had World Refugee Day events where people have um, actually done kind of cooking demos. And so we did that one year at Bite Unite, and that was really fun as well because it kind of flips the script because you are getting people from the refugee and asylum seeker community to actually teach others how to cook various dishes. And I think that's very empowering because, you know, people are kind of in the position of kind of uh, like teacher in in that situation. And, you know, I I thought that was really cool, like seeing people, um, you know, interact in that way. And then the following year we had a comedy show and so there's lots of people actually in the community who are very funny. And so we actually had a stand-up event and still managed to build food around it. So, I mean, that's just like a regular event series that we always do. But already, you know, I think kind of in three consecutive years, there's just been three different ways that we've done it. And I think that's kind of what I just love about food because, you know, there's been a food element to all of these events, but it's been subtly different every time. And, you know, I think, that's the beauty of it that you know there's so many ways that you can present the same thing but have a very different event series and and feel as well 
Yeah, I think you're right. You're able to adapt so much around food and food as a culture. Is there any other elements that you think you'd introduce later on or you think you'd always focus around food and, and adapt around that concept? I think with COVID, it's always like a little bit touch and go. So I know that, you know, with food, there is only so much you can do. Like there's only so much even restaurants can do. So I think, you know, I like the idea of exploring the way that, you know, art can connect people. So under Grassroots Future, actually earlier this week, we just launched Hong Kong's first poetry competition exclusively for refugee writers. So we've partnered with Cha and Asia Literary Journal, Spill Stories and Pale Street Poetry, which are all well-respected platforms for poetry and literature. And basically we're opening up entries to um, poets within the community um, to write on any topic and in, also in any language, provided there's an English translation. And, you know, um, basically the top three entries will be published in Cha, which is actually very prestigious. And also the winning entrant will have the opportunity to develop a chapbook of their poetry with spill stories. So, you know, I, I think... For sure, like I, I definitely love using the vehicle of food to kind of further that narrative um, about people's experiences. But actually, I'm really excited about this first person narrative initiative that we're having because in this way, people can talk about their own experiences from their own perspective and also, you know, have the opportunity to be published in, you know, a very well-respected publication already, you know, among the poetry community so you know I'm, I'm really excited that we're able to do that and I think there's a lot that we can do kind of in the creative writing space as well to talk about these experiences that people have definitely I think that's writing and art and food is all sort of a creative way to express yourself for sure yeah so anything else to wrap up um to share with the listeners or anyone that's interested in joining or upcoming events that you want people to get involved with um for sure i think basically we're always open to collaborations and talking to people and just finding different ways that you know we can help people find the resources that they need i think um you know the one thing is that you know, I, I've done all of this while maintaining a full-time job. And I think what I kind of want to reiterate to listeners is that it is possible, you know, to kind of have a project and then to work on it for a couple of years and, you know, to actually take it to the next stage as I have and turn it into a charity. And I, I think, you know, as a founder, it, it is important for me to kind of impart that message because, you know, I think a lot of projects that people do maybe on the side, maybe, you know, quote unquote, a passion project, it's hard to have the momentum to sort of continue it, you know, for, for a long time. And maybe it's because, you know, you don't have the support base around you or, you know, it, it's kind of like maybe it's hard to do the consultation with the affected community, especially if it's kind of a social interest um, topic. But, you know, I, I think... What I want to say is that, um, especially, you know, um, young people listening to this podcast, women, people of colour, I think it's important to have confidence in yourself and, you know, try to work on something, you know, outside the daily grind because, you know, it, it 
can definitely feel very challenging, but it is possible, you know, to do all of this while also holding down a day job. For sure. I think that's one thing a lot of the the women that I've been talking to on the podcasts all have in common is some of them are obviously just working on their passions and, and turning it into a business. But a lot of the women have a day job and then they're doing their their other sort of idea or passion on the side. And it's just you can manage that. It's something you can do. And we just need to remind ourselves that if you're really passionate about it, you just got to stick to it um, repetitively and focus on it and it will grow eventually. Um, and it's just about managing that time and, and passion, I guess, with your, with your day job. For sure. Exactly. Cool. So do you have any questions for me to wrap up? Yeah, I do actually. Um, I actually have two. So the first one is, um, you know, I, I guess for people that, you know, maybe like myself, are not super familiar with digital and social media marketing, you know, is there a secret to hashtags? How many is too many? And what are the best ones that nonprofits and charities could use to amplify their messages? So I think one, it's always important to do obviously thorough research of hashtags first. Um, so have general hashtags that you see maybe other charities are using or that create your own unique one and drive that is always important as well. So if you want to claim a hashtag, then put it in your bio and encourage people to tag you if they are part of your refugee community or if they are at one of your events. And then those additional tagging then also helps people find you and see you on other channels. So using your own designated hashtag or tagging system is very important. And then obviously researching hashtags for similar companies so you can figure out what is good to use, but then also streamline it to your location and your specific activities. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of people use hashtags rather in than in the post. They just added later the comment. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously use hashtags uh, relevant to each image. Um, try not to always use the same ones. Um, and, and I think you, you figure it out as you go, sort of always go look back at the analytics and see which posted better. Um, go research the hashtags. As I said, you can follow different hashtags as well and, and see if it really is relevant to you to use that in your feed. For sure. Um, so, yeah, so that would be some of the, the ways I would suggest Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's really helpful to know. Um, so I guess the other question is also um, because we also try to um, help people from the refugee community, you know, navigate social media and, you know, cross posts with them. And I think kind of a common trend that I've noticed is really on community management and how to um, help different initiatives uh, grow their follow account and engagement. So, yeah, any kind of tips or suggestions about how new initiatives could do that would be super helpful. Yeah, so I think um, partnerships and cross-promotion is, is a very good way to, to gain more followers and help people build their, um, their channels. So if you already have quite a few followers on your channel, then I think it's great if you're going to maybe once a week um, in your stories and your feed tag and announce one of the refugee refugees that might have done a recent event or are working on a project. So you 
constantly talk about them in your feed and, and your followers and then they do the same for you and so you guys interconnect um, you know so promoting them and also I think when you do have the opportunity for instance to do other partnerships then um, be sure that they're resharing and you're extending sort of that partnership that it benefits some of the refugee accounts um, for those that are involved in the projects. So just really planning carefully each partnership, the value you wanted to add, um, making sure the right people are tagged or the right channels are being boosted. Um, so I think, yeah, there's there's different routes you can go. I think using um, IGTV stories can be a great tool as well, especially mm. if you're collaborating with different refugees and you want to share their story. Um, doing short clips and tagging each other and growing the video content can be helpful as well. Um, and then for engagement, again, for me, because a digital marketing strategy normally helps define your business goal. Mm -hmm. um, it helps you sort of plan your goals out better through your communication and also build content that's more reflective of what your audience wants to hear. Mm -hmm. So one, I would go look at your organization and be like, what is it that we offer that's so unique and different? And speak about that a lot um, because that differentiates you and that is who you are. So is it something you're going to work into your weekly calendar? Are you talking about it in your stories and your feed? Um, are you making sure you're tagging different people every week? Um, do you, have you built up a good database? How are you letting other refugees get involved um, that aren't currently? So it's about trying to build up that community mm, sure. through your content. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. That's super helpful and you know, really great to hear all these different strategies just on Instagram. Thank you so much, Tegan, for sharing your story. For anyone that's listening, please check out her details for um, helping and supporting grassroots. If you want to get involved, as she mentioned, um, she's open to suggestions for collaborations, but right now they need yoga mats or um, mental well-being or yoga instructors for anyone who's keen to support the refugee community and her cause. Very excited for her cookbook, so please stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please follow us, like and share. You can also join us on Facebook and Instagram and see our daily updates. And thanks for listening and talk soon.